foreseeable future. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining Affirmative Interaction. It's very hot outside. But we're glad everyone came here to spend some time with us. Uh, this episode, we have a very big and important topic to talk about. So we're really going to get right into it. But before we do that, um, we are so glad that Aura and Paul are here today. And guys, please, you are guests here. We want to really know how you guys are doing. And just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, Paul, if you want to go first, that'd be great. Sure. Um, my name's Paul. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a pastor. I'm gay. And I've had a lot of really interesting experiences in the last few months. Um, and, and especially in less than a week, I've had some really exciting moments. So, yeah, I have nothing to share there. Very good. And we're really excited to, to learn about this excitement that's been happening on Facebook. I feel like <laughs> Facebook is just the place now for things to happen because we're all home anyway. Um, one, of but the happening. one of the things, definitely. Uh, Aura, how have you been uh, these past couple of weeks? I do understand um, you've also been able to, to write and in the same way yeah. Paul has been able to write too. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I've been doing pretty good. I had an article or my open letter to the NAD and the GC published in Spectrum like a month, a month ago. Um, so I've just kind of been, I've been chilling since then. I, I got a little bit of backlash, but other than that, I've been well. I'm a queer Christian person. So, you know, that comes with a weird territory always. <laughs> Definitely. It is weird territory. And that's a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so again, thank you to everyone that is joining us. Um, Aura and Paul are here. Feel free to say hello in the comments. Uh, Alicia Battle, uh, Lisi, um, she's, which is great. She is a, she's a relative now, which is very exciting. Um, by by way of Adrian and uh, Esther, of course. She says, "Yay, Hora! Thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for coming." Uh, Donnell, live from New York once again. Um, he is uh, he is an avid supporter. So here's what we're talking about here. Okay, um, it seems like the church and the LGBTQ community has definitely had. Uh, a little bit of tension and a little by a little bit, I mean a lot for a very long time. <laughs> and before we bring everyone in, um, Paul and Aura, I'm really interested for you guys to just tell us a little bit about how that tension has manifested in your own experience. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> Um, you know, I, like, I, where do I even begin? Um, being in Adventist education, uh, and being gay, it affects like every part of your life. Like as much as you try to, to separate it, it's just, it's always there. Like I made the personal decision to leave the church, but Adventism is such a, it's a culture and it's a very tight like tight-knit community so even in that like I'm still going to be impacted by church politics just because it's the, it's the community that raised me mm. um, so yeah it's complicated and difficult often 
Definitely. I can understand how it can be a little difficult to, you know, be in a community that is so, I would say, integral to your identity is what you grew up in and have su- and have an, also an, another essential, an essential part of your identity clash with that, too. So I can understand how that can be incredibly uncomfortable and difficult to navigate uh, through. So I, I do understand, you know, you guys have a lot to say, but, but um, Paul, please also kind of share us, share with us that similar perspective. Yeah, um, it, very extremely briefly, it's been very complicated for me in the last um, in the last couple of years, and then especially this year um, since January, because um, this, the, the conference that was supposed to be hiring me, um, that had been sponsoring me to to seminary, was supposed to pick me up um, and place me somewhere in the conference. But when they found out I was gay, they began to um, just kind of like, how do you even describe, like just chuck and jive and beat around the bush and not really address the matter. Even when I would try to address it with them, they wouldn't address it. And they have never, never actually formally let me go um, or been explicit about that. It just kind of like fizzled out. And then recently this year, um, my church, um, the leadership of my church um, decided to Against church policy and a church, against church protocol, by the way, as far as I'm as as I understand it, um, censure me um, because they found out that I'm gay, even though nothing that I believe is out of alignment with our church's teaching regarding marriage and sexuality, which does not mean that they should you should ever persecute LGBT people or try to keep LGBT people out of the church or from participating in church, but especially for a person who abides by the um, the belief system of this church, it's very frustrating and like dumb that I'm being persecuted for this, but that's mm. okay. Hmm. I I definitely, um, I, I could get that sense of frustration from you, Paul, when I, when you're on uh, Facebook live uh, about a few weeks ago, I think it was, was it last week? It was last week. Last, last, last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, f- it feels like it happened um, such a long time ago because, you know, with the way time is moving now, but it, it, the, the amount of frustration that I that I saw you go through and the amount of hurt that it caused is something that is just terrible to see, especially uh, in a fellow believer in the same church that I'm a part of, too. So it does seem like there's some disconnect. And I'm curious to bring everyone else in and just ask you guys this question of, you know, as allies, as having people that you're close to, family members, friends, a part of the LGBTQ plus community being treated like this in the church, now, how does that make you feel? How does that affect your view of the church? I know we've had we've had conversations about this, but I would love for you guys to share with everyone that's listening right now. Michael, if you want to jump into it, I know you do uh, work with allyship in your job. I'm interested in hearing your perspective. Yeah, well, I mean, th- there's a lot there for sure. Um, I think that I think one of the challenges. In, in dealing with this conversation in the church in particular is that um, everybody wants to have a theological debate or a debate about scripture. And then when you, when you throw like religion and Christian identity on top of this conversation um, and people start saying, thus saith the Lord statements, um, it gets really dicey. It can get really murky and you very quickly lose the humanity Uh, the empathy, um, the intellectual humility in the conversation. Um, And and so that's been something that I have been sort of struck by during my time here on our campus, uh, because 
I, I try to approach this and it's more than just a conversation. It's easy to dumb it down to just saying, oh, the, the LGBTQIA plus conversation, because um, it is a discussion that affects people's lives and their being. And, and it's something that I have the privilege, privilege of moving in and out of, you know. Um, but but I have always approached that discussion and conversation with a large amount of intellectual humility, uh, a large amount of compassion and empathy and other centeredness as we should, I think, approach every conversation. But I, I think the real problem for me, as I've noticed uh, folks try to either have or shut down a real authentic discussion on this um, is the um, is the lack of being comfortable not knowing or 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 the or the lack of being comfortable with um someone else having an, an equally valid differing perspective than yours um and outside of all of those perspectives and the conversation around that that we have to create spaces of safety um of affirmation for everyone uh, who's in our community uh, irrespective of our personal beliefs. Um, I tend to find that to be a pretty simple concept, and that's maybe my naivety to dumb it down to it being that simple, because it's more complex than that in some levels. But I think as a foundational concept, um, I think that I struggle with the fact that people struggle with that, you know? Hmm. Uh, and so that, that's probably where, where I would start with my initial thoughts is, um, I would say that from my experience, um, you know, folks in the LGBT community who either are Christian or no longer identify as Christian have never really wanted to have an in-depth theological conversation with me ever. <laughs> you know, that that was not the root need for the conversation. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't a desire to have a public debate or to shout other people down. It was more about um, safety and the ability to belong. Um, and I think that we've put too many conditions around what it, who's allowed to belong. Um, and that ultimately has saddened me because that's, that's antithetical to what a gospel-centered community should be. Um, so yeah, I, I would start there. Thank you for sharing, thank you. Um, so before we do move on, and thank you, uh, Simone Garrison, for bringing this up, uh, we do want to make sure we're, we're setting the table. Oh, Simone, thank you, Simone. We do want to make sure we're setting the table um, and really understanding, you know, what does it mean to be uh, gay slash queer? And or if you're comfortable answering this question, we would love for you to do that for us or Paul, whoever's most comfortable just kind of setting that table for us. Please feel free. Um, I mean, I guess being gay or being queer simply means that you experience attraction towards the same sex. And that could be like, you could be gay or lesbian or like bi, all of those things just all sit under the queer umbrella. We're all part of the LGBTQ community. Um, yeah, it's really that simple. It's just attraction, love. Yeah, honestly, it's it's that simple, and this is, it actually amazes me whenever it's understandable. I'm not going to say that it amazes me, but it's understandable that people have the kind of I um, hangups with that they have because of the the way the media has portrayed us, 
the way their gay lifestyle has been portrayed or what ha what have you. Um, but yeah, like Aura said, it's, it's just an orientation, a relational orientation. Um, and, I, and, and to add to that, I, I even think, um, and I think that a lot of queer people would, would side with this, is there's a strong aesthetic quality to our queerness. So it's not just like, I mean, straight people often think that queer people are just about sex and marriage. It's like, are you guys just about sex and marriage? So why do you guys think that we are just like these hypersex people? It's like where people, like our, our, our queerness affects our friendships. Um, it affects how we find beauty in the world, how we express ourselves with our gender. It, 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 it's all encompassing. And so, yeah, I, the fact that people have a problem with the fact that we're gay or queer is it's, it's unfortunate to me. And, you know, I think all encompassing is the word here that should be very much underlined. It's not, it's not this concept that can just be fit into a simple box. It really is something that spreads through an, an entire person's existence, and we need to treat it as such. Uh, Garrison, I feel like you had something on the tip of your tongue that you want to say. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. I was going to kind of, you know, jump in here, uh, kind of building a little bit on what Michael was saying earlier about this general unwillingness to have the conversation in an empathetic way. And I think it connects well to even what what Paul was just saying about the broadness and like the beauty and like the robustness of of these individuals' lives, right? It's like, it's more than just sex. And I think that connects well to, to an experience I've had recently as I've been having this conversation, even within my context here as a, as a local church pastor and seeing people's unwillingness to have this conversation a of all people are generally unwilling to talk about these issues with people in the community like they want to talk about gay people with straight people and i you know like paul's probably come up a little bit later we had you know i hosted an event with you where you were talking to my young adults about your experience as a gay celibate christian adventist and i was struck by how many people were adamant that Paul shouldn't be engaged in this conversation, our, our Paul. We, we should get someone from like coming out ministries or we should get someone who is formerly gay, right? Like even though there is an actual, you know, like person here to kind of tell us about their experience, there's an unwillingness to hear, hear it. And, and then the second part that I kind of want to say is the, the violence and hatred that exists um, you know, as a person outside of that community, kind of having, just kind of taking a step in to have an event and to see the vitriolic response to someone saying, listen, I almost agree with you in every way, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I agree with you in so many ways on, you know, speaking specifically about Paul's experience and, and his, you know, beliefs in, you know, traditional sex ethic to some extent, to a traditional marriage between a man and a woman, kind of to some extent there. Him speaking within the guidelines, within the frame of the Seventh-day Adventist church's beliefs, and people are still upset and angry and making videos on the internet simply because he has a same-sex attraction. Experiencing that, being kind of on the periphery, kind of being on the side of that, um was mind-blowing honestly and, and you can't fully understand it until you are 
almost like the object of that ire and that hatred. And, and again, I only get a glimpse of it, just a glimpse, and to understand how much people hate people in the LGBTQIA plus community, it, it was really, it was really eye-opening and really a, a humbling experience to just be kind of adjacent to that. Definitely, thank you for sharing. Um, Adrian, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I, I was just yes. gonna co-sign to what Jerrison was saying that I think a lot of us have kind of seen, the, which is just kind of surrounding the uncomfortability with this particular topic, which, uh, you know, I kind of see some of the people in the comment section, um, which just kind of reinforce what we know. Not too many people uh, would, I would say, know individuals in the LGBTQ community, or they don't know that the people that they know are in the LGBTQ community. And so, when we're having this conversation, like Garrison said, you, you've got all of these people that are normally cisgendered, heterosexual, wanting to have the, the, this very exclusive convo on this topic. But what we normally hear, there's, there's no growth in, in these topics. And many times they're just kind of reinforcing, regurgitating like the same uh, talking points we've kind of all heard growing up and, and so on and so forth. And I think what particularly triggers people um, is for some reason this bizarre idea that when it when it comes to uh, sex and sexuality, there is a lot more nuance to this topic than we may be comfortable in, in wrestling with. Because, and I think we've seen this in other topics, when you feel like you have to wrestle with the text that you feel like you previously knew, um, it kind of like shakes your whole your whole worldview on scripture, in, in so to speak. And I don't know if Christians are truly comfortable in wrestling with their beliefs uh, because it, it brings up the possibility or it shakes the possibility that we don't have all the answers to everything when it comes to people as you would like others to believe. And you, you, you know, we kind of tend to see these like theological debates going back and forth. And in those theological debates, we have seen it time and time again, Christians will always reveal their phobia when those topics come up, when those conversations are going in a direction that they do not like, there's a microaggression that flips out there. There's a, a rude comment that, that is made. Um, there, there is a, a theology where we now, like you know, what Paul's alluding to, this idea of placing sexual acts as like their all-encompassing identity. And, and that, I think, is part of the, the first misstep in every conversation uh, uh, evangelicals have at this topic. They are unwilling to accept the possibility that there is room for their theology to be. And I think that we also, I mean, I would love to hear the thoughts of, you know, Paul Anthony and Aura on this, but I think that for whatever reason, our society and our church is so obsessed with this like one dimensional queer or gay person, right? Like it's like, that is what defines an individual to the point of like, 
oh, I can predict how they walk, they talk, they they dress, they who what friends they have, what music they like. And and it's just like one of those things where how do we get to a checkbox situation with an incredibly new with a set of individuals? I mean, and and with individuals, obviously there's so much nuance. We we all know that from our friend groups. You can be black and 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 like diverse types of music as well you know like we all fight against this one dimensional set of rules for ourselves and yet somehow in our churches we have gotten to the point and in, you know i think sometimes in our society as well depending on what spaces you're in we've gotten to this point where we just corner people into this one fact that we know about them and think that it is somehow going to define them in every way and somehow we are god enough to like be able to predict everything that they love and everything that they they appreciate and i you know it's just it's just amazing to me the nuance that i think we've we've removed from the individuality of the lgbtqia plus community yes thank you thank you for your oh oh go ahead go ahead no go ahead you're good just agreeing. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah, I definitely echo these same sentiments. And again, it's just, it's really a shame that we try to, I think we even try to play God in some aspects. We try to police people's spiritual growth and 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 and, and we, we try to police how someone is is living their life or, or or what they're doing moment to moment when it's something that makes us really uncomfortable. But in a lot of aspects, when people are existing and living, um, we again we only choose that kind of behavior where we deem it is appropriate instead of letting that. I think we the two hundred twenty. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, so here's what we're gonna do. Um, we have the topic of the church's stance we want to tackle. So. We're going to move into that now. We want to make sure we're hitting all of these points as uh, much as possible. So let's discuss the church's official stance. Um, this idea of a gay lifestyle versus identity and what makes it uh, and what makes the practical implications of people on people's lives pretty impractical. So if someone could do me a favor. Um, I, I want to make sure we're breaking this down adequately and to the full breadth that it deserves. Um, can someone kind of set the table for us for what the church's stance is on this uh, topic? Uh, I could. Well, give me a second. I can actually, it's not that long. I could read it. Oh, perfect. Um so there's this guiding families document that um, the NAD should remember that they were a part of producing. Come on, somebody. Yes. Talk about that. Required <laughs> um, reading for pastors. My God. It, it is required reading for sure. Uh, it's, at, it's at the front here. Is it at the back? It is at the back. Okay. So Adventist belief on marriage and family. Um. I don't know if I want to read this actually. So, <laughs> essentially, we, we, didn't, we didn't plan this at this part at all. Um, let me make actually. Let me make sure I'm reading the right thing because there's a couple things in here. Very last page. Yeah. So, essentially, the 
essentially the church um, holds to, um, you know, marriage being divinely established between a man and a woman. That's we're not breaking news there. Um, the, 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 it says something about divorce. So let me get to the pertinent part here. Um, so essentially it says here, although some family, so I'll just read this part. Although some family relationships may fall short of the ideal, and that's the church's language here, a man and a woman who fully commit themselves to each other in Christ through marriage, uh, may achieve loving unity through the guidance of the spirit and the nurture of the church. God blesses the family and intends that its members shall assist each other toward complete maturity. Increasing family closeness is one of the earmarks of the final gospel message. Parents are to bring up their children to love and obey the Lord. By their example and their words, they are to teach them that Christ is a loving, tender, and caring God who wants them to become members of his body, the family of God, which embraces both single and married persons. So essentially what the what they're saying in sort of a circuitous way there is that... Um, you know, they hold to a traditional biblical ethic on marriage and family, um, but that um, folks who do identify as gay, for example, um, should be in a nurturing and caring environment within the Adventist church, uh, so long as they don't pursue a relationship on the basis of that same-sex attraction is essentially what they're saying. Um, so that's that's essentially the church's stance. Mm. And if I got that wrong, Paul, or, you know, feel free or anyone else to add in anything that I may have missed there on the fly. Okay, cool. And and thank you. I know that was a last minute thing I asked you to do, Mike, or you stepped in to do. I just want to make sure we, you know, give, and for anyone that's new to the conversation, they know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, so, so, guys, what about this do we feel is impractical when we try to apply this kind of, I guess, method or way of thinking to an actual person's life that is a part of this community. Well, I mean, the gospel, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, just the gospel doesn't limit this. You know, I remember this is actually like, when you ask the question, how does it make you feel? Um, for me, it's a frustrating conversation because like, I remember when I was pastoring in the Carolina conference, um, this conversation came up. I was on some planning committees on what we should do within pastor meetings. And, you know, they had the same conversation of let's bring in like coming out ministries to come and tell us why homosexuality can disappear. Um, and then I was like, wait, we should probably talk to people that are, you know, affirming of their place in Christianity and their orientation. But then I remember I went to a, a coming out ministries uh, thing that I begged, I begged the school not to let their students go to because I, I knew of students that were, that were closeted and they had talked to me about it and they were really fearful of the conversation. And so I just asked the chaplain, hey, said, I said, just take note. I said, let me know when they say Jesus um, at, the, uh, at the event. And it was six testimonies and closing prayer when we finally decided to um, say the name Jesus out of Vespers. Um, and so I think this is a part of the major conversation is that the gospel is not being used within this conversation. It is judgment. It is homophobia. And we could talk church statements. But in reality, this conversation is really rooted in 
we see something that we've been taught and indoctrinated to reject. And so we're going to reject it. I mean, that's the biggest part of the conversation. People will tell you what's Sodom and Gomorrah about. And I always say, what the heck is Sodom and Gomorrah about? Because it's not about uh, same sex attraction like you think it is. Uh, go read it again and realize that this is like, I mean, without trigger warnings, this is about men trying to take something from angels that isn't theirs. Like, and a man trying to give his virgin daughters up instead. Like, let's be honest about these conversations. But when we start to talk about this, we have to talk about Christ because Christ wasn't a man that came and said, I'm gonna be selective about who I interact with. I'm gonna be selective about who I care for. He said, no, all that come to me, I'll give you rest. All that come to me, I'll give you peace. All that suffer, I'll, I'll free you from that. And so within this conversation is what's been frustrating is that as a church, instead of giving comfort and peace and alleviate suffering, we literally perpetuate discomfort. We perpetuate pain and we perpetuate suffering. And I, and I guess for me, the question is, is do we want to be like Jesus or do we want to uphold some ideas or misinterpretation of laws? Because for me as a pastor, which is why I actually leave ministry and why I don't want to work in the church is because I want to be able to preach about the idea of alleviating suffering and people to say amen instead of email me later. And then people make YouTube videos telling me how I'm a heretic and people tweet on me on the internet about how I'm a terrible pastor because I simply love someone. Like, I mean, that's the thing about these, these quotes and statements and everything. It's like, we're not living that. As a church, as a community, we're not. And I mean, luckily I'm in a place that allows that, but until we bring Jesus into the conversation, miss me with the Paul, miss me with the Leviticus, miss me with the Sodom and Gomorrah, bring in Jesus and let's have a conversation. Because until you bring in Jesus, you're not bringing in the gospel at all. Yeah. Well, I guess what I was gonna add in, um, I think just with some of the conversations that I've had with some of my close friends, you know, I've had long conversations with Esther, I've had it with Logan. And as Logan just pointed out, um, just the, the, the need to reread scripture when it comes on these texts that are used to like kind of clobber the people in the LGBTQ community. Um, I think where my views on this start to open up more was where you really start to wrestle with what theology are we telling ourselves and what does that say about a god with limitless love um because at our very core when christ when when god is creating uh adam and eve he, he talks about how man should not live alone and there he is rooting in the need for companionship between people and human beings and how that is crucial to the very existence and core and, and, and fabric of our being. And I think when I start to relearn some of these scriptures and realize that uh, the Bible is not as black and white and rigid as you would like to make scripture seem it is on this topic, uh, the more I find myself going in the progressive direction of why are we promoting a God that our values suggest is limiting 
the basic need of companionship uh, to a particular demographic. And I think that is where I started to wrestle with this more, where I would ask, why would their sexuality prohibit them from something that is crucial to their existence as human beings, which is companionship, which is relational, healthy uh, uh, experiences that God is saying everyone should be able to experience on some level. And I think that is part of my fear on this topic. That form of conversation, I don't know, has ever been properly or adequately done to really try to navigate in that space of what do they deserve? They deserve everything that I deserve. And, and I think it, it is a, this, this, this notion that they're differing in sexuality means that I deserve a form of life and experience that they don't anymore. And I, something about that feels like we're putting limitations on a God that I, I don't think places limitations on his love. I um, I, I, was, I actually wanted to listen to you guys' perspectives um, before I chimed in. Um, I, I, <clears throat> I occupy a very awkward place um, when it comes to being, it's so weird to see the screen like do it in reverse, by the way, anyways. Um, but I occupy a very weird space between um, not even between in both the LGBT plus community and in the and in the Adventist or Christian community, um, because as a gay person who does maintain those traditional beliefs on sex and marriage, um, not necessarily for the same reasons that a lot of people, a lot of the same texts that people go to actually don't go to those texts whatsoever. But anyways, um, we go to those texts for whatever. Not going to get into that right now. Um, but I do maintain those beliefs and. Um, but at the same time, I hold my belief about those beliefs with certain nuances that I think that are important. Um, so like, since I guess the majority of the people are on this, on this podcast, on this, um, on this show are probably Adventists or those who are watching, um, I kind of equate the way I look at, um, the salvation, if you will, of those LGBT people or others who disagree with me on this. I kind of look at it as in the same way I kind of look at people who go to church on Sunday. Um, I don't doubt your Christianity because we disagree on this matter. And some people might say, you know, I, I like, for instance, I have I have LGBT um, friends who are what you would call side A, who maintain a progressive biblical sex ethic like Aura, I, I imagine Aura. Um, and I think the majority of my, I think the majority of my queer gay friends are probably side A and I'm side B referring to those who have it loosely those who maintain a traditional biblical sex ethic but are still queer um i i kind of look i i've seen so many side a people who i've seen filled with the holy spirit and who are living up to the to, to the light that they know so i and i what i tell people and they're like no we don't want to compromise it's like yeah we're not trying to compromise but we need to recognize that that we have, to, we have to recognize that we're all gonna be in different places. We might be perceiving truth in a different way. And thank God we're not saved by getting everything right. We're saved by knowing the right person. Um, because there are so many things that we, um, if you look back two years ago in your life, you could probably say, oh, I didn't know that thing back that I know now back then, but I know it now. And we kind of like, in the same way that we would want grace 
for not knowing then what we know now, we ought to give to other people who maybe God is bringing them along. He might not bring them along. We might be patently wrong. Um, I think that whether you're conservative or liberal on this particular topic, actually, I would encourage both sides. Um, and that's not, that's not to say you don't have to have a perspective, um, but it's more to like approach it with, with humility and kindness. Like, um, like for instance, for, from the conservative side of the church, I often get, oh, if you really love Jesus, you will become gay, excuse me, you become straight. Or um, you don't really believe in overcoming sin and all these other like foolish mm -hmm. things. I was like, <laughs> okay, guys. When was the last time we went 26 years without having sex? All right, then. Um, so, and then, and then for, for my liberal, and so like I, what I get from a lot of my conservative friends, speaking about my liberal friends, is that, oh, they're just being, um, they're trying to, they're just trying to read into scripture or they're trying to, um, they're trying to do hermeneutical gymnastics in, or, or what have you. And I say, well, that's you reading that you are judging their intellectual and, and their intellectual capabilities and their, and their, and, and their integrity. And I have a problem with that. Um, cause if you read people like Matthew Vine, even though I disagree where he falls, he lands in a certain aspect of this conversation, the man comes from the Bible. He's founding his beliefs on scripture. Um, Anyways, and then to my liberal friends, what I tell, what I, um, the problem I have with my liberal friends is often like I'll get looked at as, um, and this is something I, I, I wrestle with all the time because, you know, I'm very like big into pride. I was one of the student leaders of Haven, which is like LGBT uh, support group at, um, at Andrews University. Um, I, I mean, I just, I do so much to advocate for queer people, um, queer people's participation in the church. And many LGBT people kind of look at me like an Uncle Tom. And I was like, sweetie, when was the last Our time sweet. you had your life dragged before, before, before church, um, ch um, church, various church bodies? I've had my life dragged before several different church bodies and analyzed and picked apart for believing virtually every single thing that the church teaches. I put my neck on the line for so many people and for people who are like me to look at me and say, just because I hold beliefs on this matter that are different from theirs, that I'm an Uncle Tom is really painful. And... Um, and then like furthermore, and like like also to hear like sometimes you'll hear some of my LGBT friends, well meaning, but they'll say like, if you hold traditional beliefs on marriage, it equates to you hating or being prejudiced against queer people. I said, I'm a queer person. I just happen to believe that God designed this a certain way. I could be wrong, but you could be too. But let's not judge people's hearts. I have a problem when people try to judge people's hearts. Like it's one thing for us to go argument for argument, theology for theology. Um, I was looking at Facebook today and someone was saying something about people who hold the traditional biblical sex ethic and they weren't even evaluating the theology itself. It was, if you believe this, you in and of yourself are prejudiced. I was like, well, that can't be because I hold to that belief. And yet I'm one of those, out I'm, I'm extremely outspoken for gay rights pop or, um, in the church in the political sphere and, and so forth. And so, you know, whether we're speaking to conservatives or liberals on this matter, and I'm using those terms very generally, I think we need to recognize that on the one hand, just because someone doesn't believe like you does not mean that they hate you. On, on the other hand, just because someone doesn't believe like you does not mean they're being non-biblical. We need to get rid of that. Now, there are some people who are bigots with their theology, and there are some people who are trying to read into scripture, but I choose to believe better about people I choose to believe better. And so that's that's what I that's what I say on that.
Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> I feel like my brain is growing exponentially <laughs> right now because the things that both of you guys are saying is music to my ears. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing. I do also want to thank everyone in the comment, uh, the comments right now, uh, Mike Miller, uh, David Sedlak, uh, Larry and Sandy Sedlacek. are here every week. Sedlacek. Oh, Sedlacek, Sedlacek. Shout, shout out to Dr. Sedlacek, as shout well as um, um, Professor Chikartan. They're both the co-facilitators of the event. So thanks for joining tonight. And shout out to pronouncing the last names uh, right the first time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and thank you to uh, Larry and, and Sandy for always rocking with us every week. Uh, Mary Jo, Mike, uh, I remember you mentioned that she is a leader of Out Center. Yeah, she's uh, the she's executive director of the Out Center in Southwest Michigan. What's up, Mary Jo? Thanks for joining us. And she also dropped the link to this for um, to their like board. And so I, I think some other folks involved with them are watching as well. And shout out to all the folks involved with Haven who are watching too. Appreciate you. Perfect. So there are a ton of names, but again, thank you guys so much for. Uh, tuning in with us and uh, yeah, and uh, being along for this conversation. So here's a really interesting question that um, honestly, shout out to Esther for really opposing this to us because I think it, it's going to be good for us to kind of unpack together some of the ideas we've been fed and, and we learned. And I'll just go ahead and read it here. Um, so guys, what are some of the ideas that we were instilled as children or, or some of the ideas that we were told or we learned as kids regarding the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and we just wanna unpack those a little bit and talk also talk about how we unlearned those same ideas. So Logan, if you don't mind, do you mind uh, starting that for us and just kind of letting us know a little bit about it? You're asking like, what are some of the unlearned ideas or the things that we need to unlearn? Sorry. Yeah, what are some uh, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. I was reading these comments, but you're good. I, yeah, we, I actually don't mind. The... Okay, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh no, ahead. Garrison, Garrison, go ahead. Yeah, I don't mind jumping in here. Um, you know, I I think you know there's homophobia everywhere in society, and and probably the most homophobic idea that I learned growing up um, was that gay people, people in in the LGBTQ plus community choose to be that way. I mean, that is probably one of the most pervasive ones. And honestly, it's a starting point. Actually, it, it was my sophomore year in undergrad when that idea was dismantled for me by Dr. Stanley Stevenson at Southern Adventist University. Him and his wife, they do some great work. Um, and, and he basically just asked the question to the class, who would choose to be outcast and, and ridiculed and written about and killed and treated poorly in every single aspect of society. Who would make that decision? And um, I mean, just that simple question just triggered for me the fact that no one would choose that, right? Like I know the way that my family treated my trans cousin and there's no way she would choose that. And um, and it was really, it was really helpful, and, and so I think that 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 question or that that idea is something that I've been been taught, and and I saw that Jordan uh, jumped off, so oh there there he is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had a, I had a boomer moment. My, my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's ages. We are not ages. That is ages and I. Where's Tim Nixon here? Where's Tim? I can't. My apologies. The, the okay boomer meme is still alive in my in my mind. I, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll jump in here, um, and I want to I want to post this comment um, from from Mrs. Battle. I, the uh, this is one of my favorite quotes. Oh my goodness, I love this quote. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. By Anne Lamott, um, and and I think that actually coming across that quote, um, while well, maybe I shouldn't say what theologian I was listening to who used that quote because I, I might get blacklisted, but. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't care. It was Richard Rohr. And so, uh, you know, I was listening to Rohr and he and he used that quote um, and, it, and it was beautiful. And, and he also in the, in the context of that conversation, uh, he talked about the need for us to adopt what he coins the beginner's mind. Um, you know, oftentimes in religious community, uh, we have these high ideas about knowledge. And we oftentimes equate knowledge to wisdom, but there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of data. Uh, and we oftentimes make these data-driven analyses and comments about uh, communities of people, about topics, definitely about theological frames. Uh, if I you know, uh, attain the knowledge of these fundamental beliefs, then I get to be a part of a religious club, which means I am that means that I, it's okay for me to belong and, I, and I'm able to uh, be saved and all these different things because I assent to a certain amount of knowledge, whereas wisdom gives us the ability to not know. It gives us the ability to say, I don't know everything about this. I, I don't know, um, you know, I, I've probably, um, you know, got, you know, I've forgotten more things about God than I probably know right now. You know what I mean? And it's just like to, to, to think that I could have attained some level of understanding of any particular topic is, is naive. And so um, that beginner's mind, the adoption of that beginner's mind really helped me to unlearn a lot of different things. Um, and I'll share two quick examples. And, and the way that I was able to unlearn was to number one, blow up what I thought it meant to be gay and also blow up what I thought it meant to be a Christian. And so uh, the concept of what I thought it meant to be gay was blown up for me in law school when I, I sat next to a classmate of mine. Um, his name was Shane. And, you know, we were really cool uh, study partners and, and we would, go, you know, talk about sports. I mean, you know, all the different things that, you know, we, we clicked on and, and we had good conversation on and things of that nature. And then one day, it was probably like maybe two, three months into my first semester, he just let out offhanded like, oh, yeah, you know, this weekend, kicked it with my boyfriend. We're thinking about getting engaged. And yeah, so I'm really excited. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. You know, and, and, now, and then it hit me like, wow, Shane's gay. I didn't even know. Like I, because and what I realized is that I'd been conditioned to believe that in order to be gay, you know, you can't. It's so stupid thinking about it now, but I'm going to be transparent. This is what I was thinking, like, you know, oh, they don't like sports or they don't like, you know, they, they don't resonate with the same things that I would resonate with. We can't have normal conversations with the gay person because all they want to talk about is their sexuality. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like there's no way they could just be a normal person, you know, and, and just have regular, <laughs> regular conversations, you know what I mean? Um, 
And so that was the beginning of blowing up the constructs of what I thought it meant to be gay, for sure. And then, um, you know, the constructs around what I believed it meant to be a Christian was blown up for me. Um, actually, I'd say right around when I began the work that I'm doing at Andrews, for sure. I'd been on a spiritual journey for a while, um, but I'll be honest and say that it was difficult for me to understand the possibility of being gay and Christian uh, in some ways. Or I, I thought mostly because of the fact that I didn't see why someone who identified as gay would want to be within such an oppressive religious community at all. That, that was a big reason for that. Um, but that was blown up for me in getting into um, a deep friendship um, with someone who I consider to be a spiritual mentor and guide for me currently, uh, who was a former Christian youth pastor and is now, he still sort of traditionally connects to Christianity, but is more of a spiritual mystic and um, is one of the most spirit-filled people I've ever been around. And he is a gay married man. And I have literally seen and experienced, you know, being uh, in conversation with him and him giving me spiritual depth and insight into things that I was experiencing internally that I didn't reveal to him. So, and I know being a, a God-fearing person that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And um, to be able to allow myself to have the um, spiritual and intellectual humility to sit under the spiritual mentoring of someone that I see life or live life differently than has been transformative for me. So now that I understand that, um, you know, being a Christian is much bigger, is much broader, is much more vast than my limited scope of what it means to be Michael Nixon, the Adventist on Andrew's campus. You know, uh, mm -hmm. there are lots of frames and ways for, for God and for Christ to connect with us and for that Christian expression to come out. And so for me to, um, so both of those examples for me was was mainly rooted in the fact that I was in relationship and connection with folks in the LGBTQ plus community and um, and didn't do that on some weird terms. It wasn't like some like fishing expedition to like figure it out and have them answer all my questions. But it was just living life and being open to uh, doing life with others. Ah, maybe, maybe that has something to do with what it means to be a Christian. Actually, it's just doing life with people. Yeah. Uh, and meeting them where they are and walking with them along your journey with them from where they are, as opposed to showing up with conditions around who they need to be in order for you to move forward. So those were two of um, a number of examples that have helped me reframe what it means to be gay and also what it means to be Christian or spiritually connected. No, that's good. Um, I mean, I grew up in Missouri um, so as you can imagine, there was zero homophobia, no racism, no misogyny, just really just great, uh, just all white people, just really well-intended and well-meaning. <laughs> no, um, I mean, that's completely a joke. All of those things um, exist at a very high level. And I think for me, um, existing in spaces that are so anti, you know, I tweeted late last night, let me pull this back up. Um, and I, and I was speaking about abusers and predators because I was frustrated with some situations that a friend was talking to me about, but I said, Christians prefer to judge people off of appearance. If you look slash act like them, then you believe you, they, then they believe you to be good and they trust you. And I kind of went on to say, this is why you're deceived by, um, 
predators and abusers because it's so easy to act like something. But this is like a, a really a really normal form of um, Christian oppression that exists within our churches is that we look for people to look like we look, act like we look, we act, and then we reject the people that don't. And I think for me, that's always been my biggest drive is because I didn't, I didn't interact without people. I mean, I went to high school with people that were out after college, um, but I didn't, they weren't out in high school. So, you know, I think for me, it was, it was um, a big conversation about why do communities that I grow up in that are teaching me, that are molding me, that are, they're trying to make me become the person that I want to be. Why are they telling me that I'm supposed to dislike people based off of their orientation, based off of their gender, based off of their race, like these things. And I'm like, so confused because these are people and it's actually been a, a whole journey and i've talked about that a little bit here but like my high school teachers and stuff where i'm like wait so you taught me science you taught me math you taught me history but you were racist homophobic and you know like these kinds of things it's like wow did i actually learn anything did i actually because because you have such a skewed image and so for me i think one of my drives was really realizing that people shouldn't treat people this way. And that was probably my introspection too, becoming, you know, transitioning out of college as a theology and religion major to become a pastor. I'm like, wait, I was kind of an asshole in high school, pardon my French. Um, but like, I was a bully, I was mean, I wasn't kind. Um, and, you know, that took a lot of Facebook messages to people like, yo, um, I'm trying to, you know, reimagine my way of treating people. And I realized that I didn't treat you the way I probably should have at a time. And I want to, you know, right this wrong. Um, because I think the conversation has to be kind of driven by the idea of being aware of your, you know, your evil, like ideologies and ways. And, you know, it's funny, you know, people could say, wow, that's really great of you. Most of the time people would tell me like, honestly, don't remember. Um, or if they did, they say like, I probably wasn't very nice to you. You know, it's just like really interesting how those conversations often went. But for me, whenever you grow up in a community that teaches you to dislike people, I think you kind of have to say, this isn't Christianity. Like this isn't, this isn't what I'm majoring. Like I'm learning about this, this human, this man that loved everyone unconditionally, but I'm being taught by people that are really putting big barriers around it. And it's funny because I had a good friend of mine that left our church as a pastor and went to another denomination. And when he went to that other denomination, because he was queer, he went to that other denomination and they said, you were Adventists, right? And he said, yeah. He said, well, Adventists believe in fences and they believe they want to keep people in these fences, which is fine. It's a pretty theological norm. But this woman told him, he said, she said, please tear down your fences of belief and realize that God doesn't have fences. God builds bridges. God wants everyone to have this opportunity to seek and love and affirm them and him and they and like continual down this spectrum of conversation. And I know that was a, a turning point in my life to realize, yeah, if I'm believing something that's uh, not building a bridge to the ability for someone to believe in what I believe, then I'm doing something problematic and it's time to kind of rewrite that idea. And, um, I think that's been a big part of my journey, realizing that those fences need to get teared down. And it's time to build bridges because in reality, if we actually believe in the idea of, of faith, then we should be bridges. We should never be a barrier. We should never be a reason that someone says, you know, that's why that, that, because every person that leaves the church has a person that was their fence and said, 
you know, that was my last straw. I'm not going to be there anymore. And I think as Christians, that should be, we should be the, obvi um, the opposite of that at all times. Yeah, I, I would just piggyback off of what Logan said. I think, and, you know, Jordan and I, you, you all know, like, we, we kind of grew up like this, same household, same church. We literally lived in the same house. One of the things that I think really stood out to me um, was just the, the notion that being gay or the, the exposure of people in the LGBTQ community was somehow uh, contagious, as in if, if your child sees this, um, it will in some way distort their their uh, their mental state, their emotional state. It will cause them to uh, just kind of change uh, what their sexuality and their identity is. And so there is there is this fear when you see the the. Um, the representation in media, you see it in, in films and TV shows and books and comic books. And there and there's this fear of like, what if I don't want my kids to be exposed to that? Because the underlining all of it, there is this fear that um, if my child sees it, what if it makes them curious and it makes them change? But that, that thought process, the logic does not stand firm in many ways. Listen, I've watched episodes of Will and Grace and I have never questioned the fact that I was attracted to women. I've watched episodes of Ellen. My, I've watched with my sister. She, she has always been attracted to men. And, and so this idea that it'll somehow shift and change, it, it doesn't even stand firm with your current heteronormative children because it, we were exposed to it and it, it, it never altered us in any way and, and and so it's just like we need to protect our children from all this because we don't want them to kind of shift whichever way they go but it's like but but that hasn't been the case your your child was going to be gay whether they watched a tv show with a gay person or not them seeing it on tv will not make them start to go in a different direction and that I think we have to throw that out the window. And so because of that thought process, there is this need to like make sure we are educating our children to be straight. Now, if you think that all it takes for your child to be straight is to educate them, you, you are indirectly validating how fluid sexuality is because it could easily be that simple if I were to just from the beginning of the inception of my child to teach them to be gay, if it was that simple, you would have had a lot of kids coming out gay that weren't or were not supposed to. So it, when, when we go down that route, it, it does not make any sense. And I truly believe it, it is rooted in this, in this kind of like prophetic narrative we've built that this exposure to it is now representation of Christ's and his second coming. And it's it's so dangerous to, to view that way because I, people don't realize that like, yo, the, these people have been around for a while, right? Like I was, I was talking to Esther about one of these conventions I went to with some of these other pastors where they were bringing up philosophers like Socrates and Plato quoting the existence of LGBTQ community like back in their day. Right, so so this idea that this is now this new agenda 
that is this current 2020 phenomenon. Like there is no historical evidence to support this fear you're presenting. They, they've always existed. And I think we, should, we have to celebrate the fact that this new uh, experience that you're seeing, is it possible that we are simply uh, watching people finally learn to accept themselves? And they've always been that way. We've just never made it comfortable for them to accept themselves. Hmm. No, and I think that's exactly it. Because even when you talk about media representation of LGBTQ people, like growing up, I didn't see a lot of gay people in media and here I am. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but also like when I think about like the few like movies or shows that I saw that had queer representation, we never got like happy endings ever. Mm -hmm. So if anything, that would discourage me from choosing to be gay. In fact, like the first time that I ever remember seeing, well, that I ever remember seeing representation, like media representation of a queer person who got to live like a happy and fulfilling life was when I was like 19 years old. Like I was in college, I'd been out for years at that point. Um, so that has nothing to do with it. Uh, even in encountering like real life people who were also queer, like growing up, I didn't know a lot of people. I had a friend who had two moms. And if anything, that kind of instilled in me, like like it, it showed me that it is possible, which is something that I hadn't really thought of. Like I had never thought growing up that I could be queer and that I could be like out and that I could also be happy and have like a family. So I don't know, much to think about. Yeah, I um, I don't know, maybe Aura disagrees, but I feel like in in a way, considering like how Adventist our family is, like just in terms of like how involved in the church they are, mm -hmm. I feel we were somewhat lucky in that like our family was like fairly progressive, like like not wildly progressive, but like fairly like fairly progressive growing up, and I remember like. You know, when the, when we moved to Minnesota and they they sent us to public schools because the Adventist school system there was not good. So they were like, we're not sacrificing your education. You're going to public schools. And, you know, like you're in a public school. And so, like, when you're in an Adventist school, you get you get sheltered from this stuff because either it's talked about in a very, very specifically harmful way or it's just never, never talked about. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a public school, you're just exposed to, like, different people with different ideas, different whatever. And I remember, like, I remember the first time that I, like, had a conversation with my parents about, like, the LGBT community. And, like, this is before, like, Aura came out. Like, like this, like it was nothing, like, there was nothing in our home at the time to make us think that any of this, like, actually affected us as a family unit. But I was just curious. And I remember my parents explaining to me, like, the church's stance. I remember it being explained as, like, a very tolerant one. Like, it was meant to be, like... Yes, like, yes, we believe being gay is wrong, but like, or no, sorry, scratch that. No, we don't believe being gay is wrong, but like, you know, gay, quote unquote, lifestyle. The lifestyle. Right. But I remember it being for me as a kid, like a moment of like, oh, phew, okay, great. So like, I'm not homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, a, it was like, like, a, like, a, 
like a way to make me, and I feel like this is kind of how it's functioned in the church also, like a way to make us feel better. It's like a, yeah, like we're not homophobic. Like we don't, you know, we're not against you guys being gay, but like, we're just like, you know, there's like just certain things that we can't, you know, compromise on. But like, I like I remember growing up and like having that idea and kind of holding on to that idea of like, okay, so like I can, I can stay in the church, I can hold these views, et cetera, and I'm not contributing to like this harmful um, heteronormative culture. But like, as I grew up and started unlearning and learning new things, I, I started to question that a little bit more because of how that, how our ideology in the church has been weaponized and used um, and how it's been communicated. And, you know, we can say, like we can, we can say, and, and I, and I think it is possible to hold these views and be, and be like, you know, and be it, if you are holding it in a way that is, um, nuanced and open and loving but i think it was never communicated to me in that way it was communicated yeah. in like a, okay these are rigid rules and boundaries these are the things that you can and cannot do these are the lines that people can and cannot cross and it created in my mind like it, it creates like a hierarchy in your own mind because if i have access to certain things and i have and i am allowed to do things that other people are not allowed to do then there's a hierarchy between us like something is elevating me to be able to do these things that like you can't do because you ha you're not on the same status that i'm on and um i just think I don't know. It, I, I think we need to re-examine, at the very least, re-examine how we are communicating what we believe so that it, it doesn't do that. Like, I, like it, I, we're using it as like a get off the hook thing. Like, you know, we're not going as far as some of those like crazy evangelical people, like, you know, the Southern Baptist Church, like we're not doing all that. But um like there's still a lot of work to be done in like how it is communicated to straight people and also to gay people. Like I think like the language that we use is so often just like inherently harmful and painful to people. And it takes so much work for everybody. Like gay and straight people like to unlearn the like implicit ideas that are built into the our theology and the language we use to communicate it. If I could piggyback off what Esther's saying, Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> um, we need to we need to be very careful, of like how how we say, like we need to be aware of what we're saying, um, and then how we're saying what we're saying. Like for instance, like okay, if you're going to be a church who holds traditional biblical beliefs, cool. What does that entail, and what does not? What does that not entail? Like I tell conservatives all the time, okay, if you're going to have tr hold traditional tr um, a traditional biblical sex ethic. Here's what that uh, here's what that belief allows for you to say. It allows you to say that God ordained marriage to be between one woman and one man, and sex to be enjoyed only within marriage. That's it. Everything else is like fair and oh, and so like I think that, but I think that when, but a lot of people think that they're allowed by saying that to say a whole bunch of other things about about queer people. That they that are not able to that they're not able to say based on those beliefs because right there you're only addressing behaviors you're not addressing um, you're not addressing orientation you're not address addressing the entire relational complex that is someone's gayness 
So even from a concert, I'm speaking from a conservative traditional point of view, conservatives bite off more than they can chew when they try to make extra steps to say, oh, your orientation is bad or you need to become straight or um, being queer is bad or being transgender is like you're broken if you're transgender or something like that. Um, and so like, and then furthermore, beyond them not saying anything more than what those beliefs actually allowed for them to say, um, not even allow, but whatever, um, they need, we need, this is the most frustrating, one of the most frustrating things in the world. And this is as a celibate person. And, and I even have celibate straight friends who go through this. The church gives the conservative side of the church gives very confusing messages to 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 queer people. Mm -hmm. So you'll say you'll stand in the pulpit and give these very unbiblical, un, very unbiblical sermons about how marriage and sex are necessary for human human um, human um, human flourishing. They are not. Um, that is a myth. That is a twentieth. That is a twentieth um, and nineteenth century myth. Um, but anyways. Um, and so they'll, they'll give these conflicting messages about how you need to have sex and be married because it's the best way for you to know God and it's the best way for you to find um, the deepest human intimacy knowable, whatever. Even though Jesus is the second Adam and he's the representative of the human race and everything that humanity may become. And he was a single man and so was Paul and so was Jeremiah and a host of other saints throughout history who did a lot out of their celibacy. But let's not talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But anyways, so you'll tell... You'll tell people that marriage is a necessity, like a spiritual necessity. Show me a single scripture where it says that, by the way. But then you'll turn around to queer people and say, um, you can't do it. So it's like, OK, <laughs> help me. So it's like us, us. So you want me to basically commit spiritual and social and social and emotional suicide for what? Because you're telling me I need to get married to know God, so I need to get married to know God, but then you're also telling me to not get married to know God. And so honestly, I think this leads to a really even bigger conversation about how we need to knock, we need, to, excuse me, let me say this to all the people who are down, like real, like gung-ho about marriage, don't get, you know, but like we need to realize, we need, we need to have a better theology about celibacy um, and just suck at it, like patently suck at it. Is this something that you need to go to the Catholics for? <gasps> Catholics. Um, to learn about celibacy, the beauty that comes out of celibacy. And furthermore, the church has an obligation, a ethical obligation. If you're going to maintain traditional beliefs about sex and marriage, cool. But you need to be there, be there for your celibate people. You need to stop preaching these sermons every single week about your wife or your husband and how you guys went on a, another vacation somewhere to do X, Y, and Z. You need to start with all these singles retreats, which aren't really a celebration of singlehood, but are actually a celebration or are trying to get you paired off with someone. Um, we need to stop with all this, this rhetoric of like, when I was at Southern, um, it was, it was also, no, the school used to be called Southern Missionary College and it became known as Southern Matrimony, <laughs> Southern Matrimonial College because everyone goes there to get shows. People don't, and okay, I won't, I won't get into all that. Basically, what I want—I should have—I should have went to Southern. Say what? <laughs> I should have went to Southern. No, I went to Union. <laughs> around around the time that it was time for interviews, you just saw theology majors, theology majors getting paired off. <laughs> These people who one day nobody before people getting 
in relationships, getting married. I'm just like, yo, y'all want that job. But basically what I'm saying is that we need to um, we need to make sure that if we're going to maintain those beliefs as a denomination and we need to allow for that, we need to recognize that those beliefs are not tantamount to hatred. But if we're going to do that, the only way that you can actually say that you're being loving with those beliefs is if you stop idol um, idolizing marriage and if you start exalting the virtues of, of singleness. As if Paul did not write 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he very clearly says, if you can remain single, it's better for you and for the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, I think it's in uh, the book of Matthew, when his disciples say to him, so it's actually better if you remain married, if you remain single. And Jesus says, some people can't accept this teaching. Mercy. Mercy. So I think that we need to have, we need to do a better job of talking about the blessings of celibacy. If you're going to maintain, if you're going to teach people a traditional biblical sex ethic. Because what we have right now sucks. It's really difficult to be, you know, it's not even the thing for me, I'm, I'm almost done. Um, the, the difficult part for a lot of single single gay Christians, a celibate gay Christians is not necessarily not having sex. The hardest part is going to church and your pastor never affirms you or going to church and everything is designed to pair you off and to do everything contrary to what you feel God has ordained as your vocational calling in life. That's the hardest part. You never get affirmed in movies. Everything that you see in movies is a celebration of romance. Every song is a celebration of romance. And the church, the church just we have to be above that culture. We have to remember that our God and Savior was a single lady. Anyways. Bye, Spiel. <laughs> They're not ready for that. <laughs> oh, no. They don't want to know Jesus is a single lady. <laughs> I just think that message of, of appreciating and valuing celibacy and valuing singlehood even is so, so powerful. Because I think even in the realm of heterosexual sexuality, we are always telling people that their worth is found in a relationship or it's found in a marriage is found in and it's just really toxic actually because people end up getting in relationships because they think it makes them look cool and and you know to your point in the space of of being lgbtqia plus in you know in a church setting like who has time for somebody to be constantly pushing at you this this agenda that potentially has the the same ability to be toxic right like like heterosexuality is not inherently better is not inherently less sinful like when when men and women are lusting after other men and women right it, it doesn't get like that's not better um and so i don't know if we have like i don't even know where equipped to really applaud um, the journey of like singlehood and to appreciate it, even if you end up getting married one day, I think even the point to like that point beforehand, we don't even talk about that. We don't even value it in any sort of way. We always talk about getting paired up, getting hitched, you know, like that's the ultimate goal when, I mean, there's so much more than that to life. I also think like what you're saying, Paul, is also like such an 
Like, it's like an easy thing. Like, it's like, it's really not asking that much of the church. Like, I, like my personal beliefs or, or what I would like to see the church do are like, at, like beyond this, like way beyond this. Like, it, this is like such a simple ask. And like, I, it's <laughs> me that like, I, it's never occurred to me. And that like, it's like, no, like, it's like, you're the first person I've ever heard mm. say this out loud. Like, I, it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just sort of like, I'm a little bit mind blown right now. But I also, <laughs> I also feel like there, I think there does need to be space also. Like if, if the church can like, okay, get there, like, okay, make that link, like that leap there. Mm -hmm. I also personally would really like the church to start interrogating um, themselves um, and pushing ourselves to also make space in our churches and in our community for gay people that are that are not adhering to to mm -hmm. the to the standard that the church yeah. has set. Like I, I really think I think there is enough like there's enough biblical theologians out there that are looking at all of our proof texts and being like, this is not saying what you guys are saying it's saying. Like there's enough disagreement out there. I'm not saying like we need to go hard one way or the other. I'm just saying there's enough disagreement to call into question how solid we stand on it and how willing we are to stand on, to stand on it to the point where we push people away. Mm -hmm. I think we need to like get to that point where we're like, there is enough here that we can say we're not 100% certain and we need to make welcoming spaces for LGBT people that are not adhering to our traditional church stance. I, I, I think like, and I'm sure, and I mean like that, like that's a lot, I, it, it is a lot, but I just feel like to me, like that's where I would like to see us eventually go. But I think it's insane that like, we haven't even done what you're saying. Like I like that is just, I don't know, this is crazy. And, and I think that you, oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna piggyback off of what I meant, what I heard Aura and you mentioned just about how things are represented in on screen, on media and film. And I remember Esther and I, we had just watched a documentary, was it? Disclosure. 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 Um, okay. It truly blew my mind. So the premise was around transgenders and it, it truly blew my mind how they have uh, essentially been represented in film from the very beginning when film was created in our country. But not only that, it, it is how they've been represented. And it, it, it is not just how they've been represented, but how we have been socialized to react when we see a, a transgender person. It, it is the microaggression, it is the giggle that we see, it is the, the, the immediate uh, condemnation, it is the violence that, that, we, that we see. And so it, when, when we talk about making that space for um, the LGBTQ community that is not uh, primarily aligning with the traditional views, we also need to recognize how we react to seeing them in our church will also play a role if they feel like they can come back the next week. And I remember sitting in, in a pastoral meeting when they were talking about one of their members um, and one of the pastors made like a, it, and it was very subtle, but he, you could see his uncomfortability when he tried to kind of regain the, the, the moderation role in, in the room. You know, he's the one <laughs> controlling the conversation. And that I think is where it's another problem. Like you, 
when you are trying to learn about this community, you you have to make sure that you your body language, your your verbal responses are not perpetuating an experience where they can see a feeling of uncomfortability or a feeling of disgust or a feeling of hatred. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is where my fear comes in when we talk about uh, people in the LGBTQ community that are not uh, ideally aligning with everything that the church, church's traditional stance is on. It's like, yo, what what is it gonna look like for them when they step foot into that church? Are they gonna be getting side-eyed? Are, 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 is someone gonna make a problem? Is, is an old lady gonna walk up to them afterwards? Is, is somebody gonna send them a message on Facebook? And that I think is the root of, of so many other issues is we, if we are going to grow our faith and grow our theology on this topic, it, it has to start with that initial knee jerk reaction that so many Christians are just kind of socialized to have when we are exposed to people in that community. And part of addressing that knee jerk reaction is just learning how to view LGBTQ people as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, like and and that's i think that's always been my frustration within the church is that like i have never asked for tolerance or acceptance from any adventist i don't need that honestly i've simply just asked to be seen as a human being yeah who is worthy of basic dignity and respect and the church struggles to even meet that like really low bar like a really low bar yeah um and that's something that really needs to be addressed and that people need to like kind of reflect on and be like, why is it so hard for me to just see mm-hmm. people as people? Right. And to piggyback, to, we're all piggybacking off, but especially um, <laughs> especially something that Esther said, um, that she brought up about um, creating spaces for, um, for LGBT people um, who are side A or who, who maintain a progressive biblical sex ethic within our church. Um, there's just, that should be like a no-brainer. I think we need to, I think people need to wake up and realize when it comes to this matter, this is different than like debating, should we go to church on Saturday or Sunday? Or um, are people in heaven or hell or are they really dead, dead? Like when, you know, when they die. Or is Ellen White a prophet? Did Jesus go into the sanctuary in most holy place, 1844? You know, this is this is a very, a very existential matter. And I think that there is, I think like what kind of what Esther was saying, or maybe something in a similar vein of she's saying, it's reasonable, very reasonable. There are theologians who um, support side A um, biblical understandings of scripture and marriage and so forth. And I think we need, I think conservative Christians, um, we need to, we need to recognize that they need to recognize that it's reasonable that there are LGBT people who believe that gay marriage is right, especially when you have been you have been preaching a message that glorifies marriage as a necessity on your journey to knowing God. So I think we need to recognize that okay, we've done a lot of damaging theology. We've done a lot of damage there with that poor theology there, and so we need to be gracious. And we also need to recognize that God is work. Let's say that let's say that people who maintain that that belief are wrong that doesn't prevent the fact the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. And we need to all be willing to recognize that we all have things in our lives that we are potentially wrong on, but we would hate if someone else were to try to prevent us from participating in the church or getting to know Jesus. And so we need to, we need, and, you know, we need to find ways 
um, we need to find ways where we were like, you know, as the church where we can like maintain that belief if, if that's what the church continues to decide they want. But also where we can be like, okay, well, this is what we stand for, but we also want to make sure that, you know, we recognize this group of people here, like while our, our theology officially says this, they're human. Yeah. They're whole humans who know Jesus, who are getting to know Jesus. And furthermore, even if there's that one aspect, and this, again, I like to speak a lot to, to conservative people, even if you disagree with gay marriage, you need to recognize that there are certain things, first off, you should accept people just because they're people. But then furthermore, what are you, what do we stand to lack when we become so hyper obsessed with, well, does this person believe this or does this person believe that? Um, yeah. What do we stand to lose? Like, for instance, if you wanted all gay people to leave the church, well, there goes the choir director, there goes the whole tenor section. <laughs> there goes the pianist. I mean, there goes your decorated, I don't know. But, you know, there's there a certain- the pastor. <laughs> Am I lying, though? I mean, look at all the gospel singers. I mean, come on, guys. But anyways, um, we need to recognize that beyond just discussions of sex and, and, and marriage, we need to recognize that LGBT people bring a color to the church that straight people don't have in them. I'm just gonna say it like it is. Straight people don't have the kind of color we have. I'm gonna say it like that. And so we need to we need to accept that fact and capitalize on that fact, even if we have disagreements on this one issue. And it's not to say that's not important, but I think there are some even more important things that we could be doing with our time than just debating about this. Yeah, and that like really speaks to the idea of the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. You know, that's like such a like, <laughs> and you're literally speaking. If you eliminate my lifestyle, you eliminate my creativity, my ability to lead, my ability to love, like my ability to do all of these things. And and so you know, when you talk about that lifestyle, it's like, well, actually, that's a life. You're eliminating a person's ability to express. And I think, like as a pastor, that's what I long for in a church. Because I want a person, I'll sit in that meeting and be like, well, anyone, please help me because I need help expressing. Like, that's what we do as as church leaders. I need you to pray for me. I need you to, to lead out in a Sabbath school. I need you to plan a community event and activity because these are forms of expression. And when we start to alienate people based off of their decisions and their actions, we're actually alienating their ability to express their experience and their existence, which is literally what makes churches beautiful. Yeah. And when we and when we kill that, we kill beauty. We kill the ability for a flower to bloom. We kill the ability for a tree to bear fruit. Like we have to realize that people's ability to express and live is 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 super important um, within our churches. Oh, thank you all for sharing. We're coming up at the end of our time here on Affirmative Interaction. Um, there's so much to talk about, and we had a whole other section we were supposed to hit. Um, so I would hope to say that we can do a part two very much sooner than later, if you guys would definitely come back um, and, and join us again. Because uh, I, I do want to read a comment that um, Claudia said, and I do hope this can be the basis of what we do for the next episode. Intersectionality of blackness and queerness is critical to this conversation as well. When both your race and your sexuality are considered weapons or deviant, 
then your body will always be a threat. So she's very correct in that. And, uh, you know, this is something that we definitely need to discuss. So I'm going to just pin it right now and just say, hey, next week, please um, come back. And we're going to talk about that. But before we do close, uh, Paul, um, you are a man of great wisdom and knowledge, or you are a great individual of wisdom and knowledge as well. Guys, thank you for coming. And Paul, what you experienced last week, uh, that story is actually kind of what spurred us to say, hey, let's have Paul on, let's have Aura on to talk about um, this very important topic. Uh, Paul, do you mind telling us what exactly happened? Because, you know, again, this was like the nexus of, of why we're here today. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, and less than a minute. Um, so basically, came home from seminary and um, no, you're good. No, um, came home from no, but take your time. Please take your time. And I um, I went went back home and I was like, yo, to my pastor, yo, y'all always tell me to preach. Y'all always asking me to participate. I'm moving back home and I would love to contribute to the life of my church. I love my church. Um, come back home. The pastor's beating around the bush. Didn't you know, whatever. He just, he's not really letting me do anything. I'm wondering why. And then um, I was ambushed by um, an elder who called an impromptu meeting with the el- with the pastor and the head elder. And it led into this where they were just basically shaking down my life um, right after church. And I didn't have anyone there to defend me. Not that I needed anyone. Um, and then, yeah, it just led to a whole series of escalations on the part of the leadership of my church where they didn't listen they weren't willing to actually engage me in a dialogue, but they had these secret meet a lot of secret meetings, um, a lot of talking down to me as a queer person, presuming that they knew more about my experience than they did. Um, and even though I maintain again, I maintain at baseline the same beliefs as the church as far as marriage and sex goes. Um, they were like, um, the pastor um, issued an illegal, I don't know if it's illegal, but against our policy statement of censure, saying that I wouldn't be allowed to teach or preach because of the beliefs I had that were against the church's beliefs. Um, and I encouraged him to point out those beliefs that were erroneous. And he, all he could say is basically, you call yourself gay. And it's like, our church policies don't say, our church doctrine doesn't say anything about that, but he issued it nonetheless. Um, and um, basically he was afraid that I was going to put uh, try to go and pursue legal action. I have never pursued legal action. I have asked if what the church has done is illegal. I have never pursued illegal uh, uh, legal action. Anyways, um, and it was yeah. So basically, at, at right after that time, you know, they they decided to not have a meeting with me where I was going to be able to share my my beliefs with the elder board. They decided to cancel that meeting and have a meeting with a conference. So this bypassing the protocol that Matthew 18 enjoins on us as Christians, um, dialing this up out of the local church congregation, bypassing the board, the church elders, the church in a business session, business meeting, going straight to the conference. Um, And basically it has been waiting for four months to hear back from them um, because COVID shut everything down. I don't know what was taking them so long to respond because COVID doesn't mess with radio signals and cell phone signals to the best of my ability. And, so they sent a letter to me this past Thursday, basically saying, yo, we gave you all this money growing up. We love you so much. Um, and this, the fact that we gave you money growing up is the proof that we love you and we think you're credible and that you can do a good job, that you're intelligent. But because you hold certain views um, on marriage and the family that are against the, what the church believes, um, we can't allow you to preach or teach. Um, thank you and God bless. That's basically all they said. 
uh, to, to that extent. And if you want to see the letter, it's online. Um, yeah, so basically just mishandling of a very sensitive matter, um, letting this drag out for several months. I gave them several months. I was extremely gracious. Um, but now is the time to follow Matthew 18 because apparently they don't know how to follow Matthew 18. And so I posted it on Facebook after after some prayer and consideration because we're into Matthew 18. You're supposed to bring it after a while before the church. And since I can't go to church, you guys are the church. So that's what's been going on. And now people are writing letters to the various individuals. Please write good letters, guys. Don't cuss anybody out. Don't threaten anyone. That'll only make it more difficult. But yeah, so that's where okay. I delete my letter. <laughs> I was just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically where things are. Um, yeah, I'm just waiting to see what God, what God has in store. This looks like there's going to be some good things coming out of this. Just honestly pray over it. Because, um, you know, it's not great. It's embarrassing for the church, for sure. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, you know, again, we've, we've talked about it. And if you guys haven't seen Paul's live stream, I would encourage you to go to his Facebook. Paul, if you feel comfortable just uh, dropping that in the in the chat on Facebook too, so people can can get that. I would definitely encourage everyone to watch it, to really understand uh, what happened in the story and really take it as a lesson on how not to go about loving our brothers and sisters from from this beautiful community. Uh, Aura, your article was amazing. Yes. Thank you. Um, uh, you're very welcome. You're a wonderful writer and we would love to have you tell us a little bit about, you know, what spurred you to share this piece with the world and um, yeah, feel free. Um, a couple things. One is, Back in 2018, I think, I actually did a story with Humans of Adventism where I talked about being queer and being Adventist. And I was a little bit more in depth about my experience um, and how it impacted me on a, like, a psychological level. Um, but more recently, there was just, there was a couple conversations being like happening. Last month, there is an, an executive order passed by 45 himself where essentially he said that due to religious liberties, doctors can deny treatment towards anyone who they perceive as queer or trans, which really affects everyone because it's just up to perception. It doesn't mean that you can be like, yeah, I'm a gay person, like it, it doesn't matter. Um, and then like maybe two days later, SCOTUS made a decision about um, employment as far as queer and trans people go and how we can't be discriminated against in the workplace. And something that I had kind of noticed was the church, like the Adventist church who is known for its healthcare was very, very, very quiet when it came to like basically giving doctors the okay to discriminate against people. But then the moment where people are like, um, maybe don't discriminate pe against people in the workplace then it was like this huge issue. Religious liberty mattered all of a sudden. Um, and just kind of realizing that we live in a climate where gay and trans people are viewed as employees before we're viewed as human beings. Um, and that's really what prompted it was just like my, just my own frustration with like literally for 21 years asking for the absolute bare minimum just asking that people view me as a human being and respect me and be kind to me, just be nice. 
Um, and the church just basically being like, uh, no, we reserve the right to be a homophobic deal, you know? And that's really, that's really all it was. Just frustration, sadness also. Hmm. Well, again, thank you to Aura. Thank you to Paul. Thank you to everyone here on this podcast for sharing. Um, Aura and Paul, again, special thank you. I just honestly cannot thank you guys enough because I'm just. Thank you. When, of course, when, when I see you guys online, you know, you guys are warriors. We don't have to be. You guys are fighting this very important fight to be seen as a human. And we 100% back you. We 100% support you. And I know everyone in the comment section right now and everyone that has viewed does as well. And speaking of which, thank you guys so much for watching Affirmative Interaction this week. Please come back next week for part two. And uh, please feel free to read the book that Adrian is pointing. I think that might be a good place for a lot of us to start um, learning more about this. Our, our PMIs are in the comments. Uh, Paul and Orr's PMIs are also there too. Guys, thank you so much. This is Affirmative Interaction. Um, I'm your host, Jordan Smart, and we will see you next week. Please don't forget to be nice. <laughs>